This is Content Content, a monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. This is episode number 13, recorded November 1st, 2016. Today's guest is Alyssa Fox, a Houston, Texas-based director of information development and program management, which could be the longest title ever here on the podcast. And she uh, she works at Microfocus. Uh, Alyssa was also recently named one of Mind Touch's top 200 content strategists. So congratulations, Alyssa. Thank you. Hey, how are you? Thanks. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me here today. Hey, no problem. I know we had a couple of stops and starts, but I'm glad we could finally get together. Yeah, you can follow Alyssa on Twitter at AFOX98. Uh, incidentally, we uh, both missed the LavaCon conference last week, uh, which is where I met Alyssa in person for the first time after uh, being Twitter friends for, for several years. Um, Alyssa, why don't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about your background in technical communication and content strategy? Okay. Um, so I got started in technical communication in college, actually. Um, I was uh, with a friend hmm. at a college event that um, was looking for people to do co-op uh, jobs, which alternates semesters of work and school. Hmm. And um, I just kind of went along for the ride. And um, there was a software company that was hiring liberal arts majors. I'm actually a history major from Texas A&M University. Hmm. And um, they were talking about this thing called technical writing that I'd never heard of. <laughs> so, so I was like, hey, what's this? So I went and talked with them. And they they were looking for people, obviously, to uh, take the software and write about it in a way that helps the users use the software to help them do their jobs. Right. So I was like, well, that hey, that's really cool. I like <laughs> writing. I like technology. Um, let's see if I can get this you know, co-op job. And I did. So I spent three semesters in college uh, doing tech writing, alternating work hmm. semesters with um, school. So that's how I got into it. And then funny enough, when I finished that job, there was a department on campus, the chemistry department that had built their own in-house inventory system for their gas canisters. And they were looking for somebody to write manuals for it. So I kind of lucked into that job too. So by the time I graduated, I had over a year of experience of doing technical writing um, and then just kind of stuck with that, even though I had the history degree, because I I just found it fascinating. It was always changing and it was Mm. always uh, growing. So um, I've been in the software business ever since. Yeah, and that's funny because a lot of people seem to think that tech writing is dry and boring, but then you get into it and you're like, wait, this isn't really just writing steps down over and over again. Yeah, exactly. There's, to me, it's just the constant learning is very cool about it. And then, you know, if you move around from product to product or even different industries to industries, the, the possibilities of the things that we can do as technical communicators to me is, is what keeps it exciting. Hmm. Why don't you tell us about some of those possibilities? What do you well, like about I, it? I like that the foundational skills that you get as a technical writer can take you into a multitude of career paths. Um, Hmm. You know, you you look at what's going on today and um, in in the industry. And if you start it as a, quote, technical writer, unquote, um, Hmm. you're usually doing more than just what I call writing documentation in the corner. At least I think the best jobs are that way, right? Hmm. You're you're, you're participating in user experience. You're helping do user interface reviews with with your project teams. A lot of times you're doing um, some strategic work, information architecture. Um, You can, you know, later go into uh, content marketing. There's just that content development background and knowing the basics of writing and communicating um, just opens up the world for us. Absolutely. And uh, that's what I, I agree with you. I like the fact that, you know, I've got different hats on. And honestly, you know, I find that I really don't do that much writing over the course of a day. 
Yeah, I think that's, I think you're right. I think that's probably the least amount of what we do. It's a lot of research gathering, talking with other people, straightening out miscommunications, um, you know, doing research to see what is the best solution for our customer. Um, and, and all of that stuff together is what makes it so cool to me. It's not one thing day in and day out, um, hmm. you know, and with other people telling you what to do every day. It's, it's you kind of going out there and learning the best way to document something or the best way or the best format to provide content in to really help the customers. Right. And I think that a lot of people don't get that. I look in a lot of forums and I see a lot of people, are, you know, whether they're in college or they're transitioning careers and they're like, oh, this tech writing thing sounds like something I could do or something I could be good at. And they list all the things about writing, but I don't think that they understand that there's, you know, not, it's not just writing. I think there's a lot more to it that people don't understand about our field. And sometimes that gets lost. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think definitely you need to have a technical bent and the soft skills thing is such a huge part of it that people don't think about and people don't nurture. So, you know, we're kind of famous for being introverted in this industry. Mm. Um, Except for you and me. I I was going to say, yeah, a few exceptions. (laughs) Um, But, you know, people don't want to go out there and talk to people. And and that's a huge part of what we do every day. Right. Now, um, you've mentioned soft skills, and I know that with your lofty title that you are still a technical communications manager. Now, why don't you tell us about being a manager of tech com people? Okay. Uh, so the the top thing I probably emphasize with my uh, team is that um, to be proactive. Um, mm. I feel like we yeah. have, you know, as I already mentioned, we have so many opportunities available to us to make our content better, our products better, our teamwork better because of those foundational skills that we have that I really feel it's important that people do more than just what is handed to them or what is in their job description. Um, I, I really enjoy management. I feel like... Um, managing people is what kind of gets me out of bed in the morning. I like help. I like helping people grow. I like helping people learn. And I firmly, firmly believe that if you take care of the people on your team, that all the other stuff falls into place. So if your people feel valued, if your people feel like they're doing interesting work, then all of the processes that you're worried about that aren't working well and all of the um, drive and motivation that you really want in your team members, that will come if Hmm. you take care of your people in the right way. Interesting. So what kind of challenges in that regard do you have as a manager? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing. I love managing people and I hate managing people because it's people, you (laughs) know. Uh, uh, People are great. For for the most part, dealing with people um, can be very rewarding, but also very challenging, as you noted. Um, There are times that you run into people that really don't want to go above and beyond. Not saying that every team member Mm. has to go above and beyond, but there are people that want to come in and do their work nine to five, never do anything extra in the evenings and, you know, go and um, go home and be with their families and and not touch work in the evenings or whatever. And that's fine. That's completely up to them. Um, One of my biggest challenges in trying to, to deal with different types of personalities and different types of people on the team is learning how to treat people fairly, not equally. So, Mm. um, you know, with different personalities, different levels of experience and different interests, um, you can't give everybody the same assignment. You can't give everybody the same level of attention, but what you want to do is make sure that you're treating them fairly for their level of expertise, for their skill set, for their interest in certain things. So that, that took me a while to learn, um, because, 
what I I'm very type A, so I <laughs> you know, I want to kind of like have my way of doing things and kind of think that sometimes everyone else should do things the way I do it. And I've had yeah. to learn that um, as long as I get the results that I'm looking for, then it doesn't matter how they do it. So right, okay. learning to adjust to everyone's different styles of working, different personalities and things like that has been probably one of the biggest challenges. Now, can you give us some recommendations for working with people like that? Because I, I struggle all the time, too. I'm, uh, you know, I'm another type A. I'm a, an extrovert and dealing with people who, you know, aren't necessarily that that high energy or, you know, anything like that. I, I, you're right. I'd say, Oh, why aren't you doing this? Cause I'm doing it the same way. Do you have recommendations right. for, for us to cope with coworkers and managers? Yeah. So, um, uh, there's, I read a lot. I read a lot of blogs. I read a lot of books. I read, I just read a lot. I've always have. And some of the tips that I've picked up along the way have come from different resources, such as, um, Susan Cain's book about introverts, quiet, it's called quiet. Um, and and several blogs and that sort of thing. I have to remember that, um, different personalities require different processing time. And that to me Mm -hmm. has made the biggest difference. So if I'm in a meeting with my team and I say, Hey, we're going to start doing X and what do you guys think? And people don't respond. Sometimes I assume that they're okay with that, but what they're doing is processing what I've told them Hmm. and analyzing whether they think that that is a good idea or not a good idea, or maybe we could adjust it a couple of ways and it would be a good idea. And I have to remember that sometimes people need to go away and think for a day or two Hmm. and then come back and have more discussion. So I tend to process things very, very quickly. I am very prone towards making decisions quickly and course correcting later if I have to. Um, whereas most of my team is not that way. So, um, I have to kind of keep that in the back of my mind, pause, pause. I'm constantly telling myself to pause because whether it's dealing with myself and my own mouth that tends to go 90 miles a minute or (laughs) dealing with my team, um, and remembering to pause and allow them to pause and that it's okay to pause. Mm. Then I think that's probably my biggest tip for that. Just being mindful of the fact that people are different and working with them long enough and taking the time to get to know them and how they work so that you can adjust what you're doing with them accordingly. Interesting. It's okay to pause. I have to, I have to make that a mantra of mine. I like right. that a lot. <clears throat> well, now it's my turn to clear my voice. Hmm. So interesting. So would you say that you're more, what, that you prefer managing people to content or content to people? Oh, good question. Cause I'm kind of in this weird, um, limbo right now between them. So, um, well, what do you mean by a, that? Well, the, what I mean by that is I'm working on a content strategy project at work right now that could have me focusing a lot more day to day on content and what we're doing with it than what I'm currently doing, because I manage managers who manage oh, okay. the team members who tend to be closer to the everyday stuff. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So I've always liked managing people. Um, I, I would say I probably prefer managing people over managing content, but working with content has so many people involved. They kind of over, you know, overlap and intersect in a lot of ways. Um, so having more of a focus for myself on what I'm doing in content going forward, is kind of interesting because I have managed people so long. It's just something kind of new and different. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about MicroFocus then. It, it sounds like it's a, a large tech writing team since you're managing managers and then there's writers below them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. 
Um, so at the entire MicroFocus company, we have about 65 writers worldwide. Wow. Um, yeah, and that includes managers. Um, and we have them all over the place. We have them in North America. We have them in Europe. We have them in Asia. Um, so we're, we're literally spread all the way around the world. Um, so we have about... Well, through various mergers and the like over the last year or two, we have about seven doc managers now, including me. And um, the rest are individual contributors or, you know, or lead writers or whatever, but team members. And um, we we kind of have a varied background. It's interesting because um, it's a hybrid model. Um, we have some of the, the doc teams reporting into development and some of the doc teams reporting into information development, which is uh, hmm. the group that I, I manage. Okay. So, but the managers still work together in what we call a center of excellence to establish best practices and standards for all of us to follow across the organization. And uh, MicroFocus has actually publicly declared that uh, we plan to grow more and we've had a lot of acquisitions lately. We have another one coming up. Um, so the goal is to try to establish enough of a framework that when we do go through more mergers, that we can more easily fold these groups into our existing group or our center of excellence. Um, so there's a lot of work going on right now in that effort to wow. make sure our doc looks like it all comes from all the same company mm-hmm. and not seven, you know, heritage companies and that kind of thing. Um, establishing our the way we approach uh, writing and publishing content, our tool sets, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the situation we're in right now, very heavily in integration mode right now. Wow, that's uh, that sounds pretty intense. It it can be. <laughs> it's been a busy year, let's say. Yeah, I can imagine. So, how are your, how are your teams writing? How are they producing now? Are you doing written content and or print, printed content and online or online only? So we do on, online only. We haven't printed nice. for a number of years. Okay. Yeah. And um, we've recently kicked off another effort to um, supplement some of our written content with video content. Nice. Um, that's a new effort of ours. Um, we've, we've been trying it off and on for the last couple of years. Mm. And uh, we recently switched tools. And um, so we're now uh, got everybody trained up on that. And I'm trying to kind of get it ingrained into people to think about what is the best format for our content? Let's not just put it in a book because that's what we've always done. Right. So um, some of that will come back into the content strategy thing that I was referring to earlier. Uh, once we have that strategy and start looking at the different types of content we produce um, and why we are producing those different types of content, then of course we'll be having more discussions about that. Hmm. So have you had trouble getting buy-in from other management, higher level management about things like video or moving, well, obviously not moving away from printed manuals, but do you ever get pushback about, you know, being too ambitious? Um, no, I really haven't. Um, hmm. To tell you the truth, people are very supportive of the video effort. We just had a 30-day video challenge um, in the, we had one in the U.S. and then one in the um, our India Development Center, and um, we had people outside of our group judge that because we wanted people to see what we were doing and why. And hmm. um, every judge that I talked to was super excited about it. They feel like a lot of content is really going this way. Our customers are asking for more videos, oh, both nice. marketing, marketing videos, and training videos. Right. So it is a demand. Um, so I haven't had a lot of pushback. I have nothing but really support from upper management and what I'm trying to do. Um, when the issue comes down to time and money, right? And, and people, As always. Yeah, exactly. So if it comes down to finishing the book for this release or creating a video, the book wins out every time. But I would like to find us ways that we can maybe not focus on so much of just writing a book because we've written a book. Maybe, you know, whatever is being written in that book is not as high value as providing a three-minute video. So maybe we can say, you know what, let's just leave the book like it is or, and we'll look at it later and we'll right. create this video. 
So we're, yeah, we're going a lot, trying to go down that path now. That's great. That's yeah. A video is, uh, it's up and coming. I think that more and more people, especially younger people just want to see a video, even a quick video, then, you know, have to search through a help topic or look through a PDF or even for heaven forbid, open up a manual. I know I don't, I know I don't. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, it sounds like you're working, you know, across, across the globe, literally. And, you know, in my job at Goldman Sachs, I do as well. I actually had an eight o'clock conference call for an e-learning project in, uh, in Tokyo this morning. So, um, for those of us who are new to that or haven't had to deal with internationalization yet, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Sure. Um, it's been a great experience, actually. Very interesting um, in working. I've been working with the group in India for about five years now. Okay. Um, recently started working more with our European groups in the last merger over the last year and a half. And um, I think the biggest thing to remember is just that, you know, everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to put out a high quality product for our customers that they find useful. And um, just because somebody might have gone about it differently in another office location or a different, um, you know, company that's merged in with yours, that doesn't mean that you can't still work together and find the best practices from both. Hmm. Uh, I've found that it's really key to, again, I go back to people because getting to know the people makes a huge difference. Um, I remember Hmm. the first time I went to India to meet the team there, I was really nervous because I'd never been anywhere that far around the world. I'd been to Europe a couple of times, but, you know, going all the way over to Asia where, you know, and halfway around the world. Right. It was a brand new experience, hmm. but the, peop- the people were very gracious and exci- as excited to meet me as I was excited to meet them. So that was really cool. Um, but I, it did take me probably a couple of years working with them and the development managers and directors hmm. um, before I felt like we had the kind of working relationship that I wanted us to have. And I, you know, Hmm. wholeheartedly endorse face-to-face meetings if you can do them. I understand that some companies are constrained with, you know, budgets. And um, so travel is not always an option. But anytime you're working with somebody around the world, if you can at least get over there once a year or something to see people, because once you meet people face-to-face, your whole relationship changes, even if you're at the very beginning of it, because, you understand them a little bit more. Hopefully you've done some research into their culture and they've done some into yours. So you can kind of, you know, try to get along the best way you know how and not make any major faux pas based Hmm. on culture or something like that. Hmm. But um, I found it just fascinating to go over there and, and, and I did learn about their culture and my coworkers there were very, uh, hospitable and gracious to show me a lot about their culture. They took us on weekend trips probably the first four or five times we went there to show us different parts of their country and all that. So I really think going back and, you know, getting to know the people and understanding the people before you worry about all that work stuff uh, makes a big difference mm-hmm. because then if you've established that relationship, you can work on that stuff a little bit more closely going forward. So you're talking about the people behind the content then, huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's the uh, the mission behind my show. So right. That's funny. How's the food? <laughs> How is the food in India? The food's great, but if you don't like spicy food, you're in trouble. Hmm. Now it's you're spicy. you're a barbecue person, right? I am a barbecue person, and I'm a Tex-Mex person, which is often spicy. So hmm. um, I had no problems with it, but nice. some people do. Now you've merged. You know, it sounds like you have a bunch of mergers. You work with people around the globe. Um, are you, are you all standardizing on the same authoring tool or software or how does that work if you have a company that comes in that you're, that you've acquired and their tool set is different than your tool set? Do you let them do that or do you, does everyone kind of fold into the same thing? 
Oh, that's a great question because uh, that's something we've been wrestling with for the last year. So we currently hmm. have two major tool sets. Um, we have um, about half of our team in a DITA XM, uh, XML CMS. Um, okay. And then we have the other half of our team is using structured frame and we have an in-house uh, conversion system that converts it to XML and then HTML or whatever you want to do from there. Hmm. Um, and then we have a few little stragglers here and there. We have a couple people on unstructured frame. We just acquired another company that introduces another tool set, but it's much smaller. So we're going to end up moving them over to one of our major tool sets. Um, we have analyzed whether we should move everybody over to one. Um, right now, with the level of resource we have and the number of projects going out that we do, um, it's just not feasible to move us all whole hog to one or the other. Makes sense. So kind of what we're doing now is just settling on those two major ones that we have most of the team on. Um, and uh, we have a small tools team composed of um, a couple of developers and a couple of pretty technically savvy uh, information developers that hmm. work on bridging those two tool sets together. For example, uh, we're working on a new template for our books that all say the same company and everything. Um, <laughs> th those guys are working together to make sure it looks the same, regardless of which of those two tool sets it comes out of. Um, as I mentioned, the smaller companies that we acquire and are acquiring, um, we're looking at their tool sets a little more closely and saying, okay, guys, look, <laughs> unfortunately, the, the downside of being small is that you guys are going to have to look at one of these tool sets, you know, that right, yeah. one of the bigger groups is using. Um, and then it'll be interesting, too, because we have a, a larger merger with HP Enterprise coming up over the next year oh. or so to see, you know, what they're using, because that's a oh, very wow. large group. Yeah. So um, huh. we're just trying to get as streamlined as possible before that. That's crazy. That's 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 literally crazy. So, yeah. I mean, how, what, how much support do you have to give, like, one of those smaller companies that, okay, here's this new tool, here's this new infrastructure, here's this new way of doing things. How much hand-holding do you have to do, and how difficult is that if you're – a continent in a way. Yeah. Good question. I think that depends on the level of the writers. Fortunately, with mm. this last, with this particular group I'm talking about, we're talking very senior writers. It's just a handful of oh, senior okay. writers. So that's something that I don't have to do a lot of handholding with. Yes, they're going to have to learn a new tool, but they can pick up tools easily. We've okay. also had a much smaller merger last year where we had, I think, just one writer that was very, very junior um, and had a lot more difficulty with it. So a little more handholding there. Hmm. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on, on what you're getting in the people again, you <laughs> know, with, with what they can do with the content tools and the, the, uh, changes in approach that they might run into as part of a merger. Hmm. So this all ties, I think ties together to a tweet that you put out on September 30th that I told you I was going to bring up that, <laughs> <laughs> that you mentioned, uh, and I quote, seriously, y'all, this hashtag content strategy stuff is hard. So what, uh, what were you doing that prompted you to, uh, <laughs> to get a little frustrated with the content strategy stuff. Okay. So um, what my background is in is, is what I would call straight up tech com. You know, it's, it's software okay. documentation, it's video documentation, but you know, related to software, that kind of stuff. What I'm currently in the midst of um, is, is a global content strategy project that crosses Oof. departments and goes outside of TechCom into marketing products or marketing content, uh, product management content, et cetera, et cetera. So the way that started was um, when we started merging all of the information development groups together, um, the general manager that I work for asked me to look across the group see what we needed to do to bring those groups together, what my goals for that group would be over the next year or two. And one of my goals was to more closely align the technical content with our marketing content. Cool. Because I felt like we never talked to marketing, marketing never <laughs> talked to us. 
And for all I knew, we could have some of our technical content out there either uh, negating or uh, mm. contradicting or not aligning with what the story that marketing was trying to tell about our solutions. So as I started talking with the marketing leadership in this effort, you know, because I wanted to say, I wanted to ask them where is y'all's content so we can kind of look at, okay, what are, you, what are y'all talking about as far as who we are as a company and what our solutions can do for you so that we can reinforce that in the technical content or possibly mm-hmm. link up, you know, if you're talking about our solution does X, then maybe we can point them to a technical manifestation of our product you know, doing that particular thing. Hmm. So as we started talking, what both what dawned on both of us, me and the marketing VP I was working with, um, was that we really need a content strategy because marketing was way behind TechCom even. In, oh, wow. Um, as far as having any kind of content strategy or calendar or source control or repository or anything. Hmm. Um, it was much more fly by the seat of your pants, um, create content when someone asked for it, basically. Right. So that's kind of where the idea started brewing. And uh, before we knew it, we had a business case for a content strategy for the whole organization um, because we really, at the same time, we were also rewriting our um, our company strategy and hmm. our story for who we are. So it made perfect sense to go, okay, let's look at maybe running a pilot project for a content strategy uh, that aligns with this marketing strategy or, or overall micro-focus story, right? Um, and so that's how we got started on it. And we're currently about a month, not quite a month into our six-month pilot where we're doing a number of things like a content inventory, content audit, et cetera. Hmm. Um, but long-term, the idea is that we will have a defined strategy, content strategy for the company that anyone creating and publishing content within the company would then align their content to. Well, I have to say, it sounds like a really exciting place to work. There's a lot going on. You're doing content strategy, architecture. I mean, it's just, it sounds like there's just a whole ton of cool stuff happening there. Yeah, there is. And and the, the thing that prompted that tweet was I was going through getting ready for the pilot kickoff call, actually. And um, I was trying to decide what all, you know, did I definitely want in this inventory sheet and how high level or low level should the audit be? And, um, you know, I haven't done a lot of this global content strategy work before. So okay. it's, it's been a lot of work to really do the research, talk with people, apply what I've read in the research to what our current situation is at my company, do the research within my company to determine, you know, how is this going to align with what we do here with the content strategy? So it is hard, but it's also, like you said, very exciting. I've really had a good time with this. I'm very much looking forward to the potential of what kind of impact we can make on the business with this stuff going Mm. forward. Um, Yeah. Our our CMO is very excited about it as well. Um, You know, he's, he's getting more and more wind of it. And and our timing just happened to be really good because right about the time we started talking about this, it popped up almost every other day. Someone different in the company was going, why don't we have something like blah, blah, blah. And then Mm. somebody else says, if we had a content strategy. And so it's really, (laughs) everybody's kind of like, okay, I see where you're coming from with this. I see how this can solve some of our issues. Hmm. That's really interesting. I was just at content marketing world uh, in September. So it was interesting to see that crossover from the tech com world to the marketing world and see that there's a lot of similarities, but yet there's a lot of differences. Um, curious to see how you're folding your tech com technology into the marketing side. Are they going to be doing structured authoring or how is how is your content strategy accounting for all that technology? So it's pretty early in the game for us on that. Um, we have talked about CC, uh, CCMSs, and I've explained to the marketing team what that is and why I think we need one. 
Hmm. Um, which, frankly, the the part of our info dev team that is already using a CMS is in a CCMS. So when I start talking to the marketing group about reusing content, you know, whether not only within marketing, but across marketing and info dev or across right. marketing and PM or whatever, um, they get real excited because what they're doing now is recreating a piece of content 25 times because they don't have a repository hmm. and they don't know that hmm. they have it. Um, so we've talked a little bit. We've gone back and forth about that some. Um, I don't think that we will end up having our marketing group with, well, I say not within structured authoring. That's not necessarily true. What hmm. we're talking about doing is having them also create content within a CMS, but it's more of a WYSIWYG uh, editor for them. Okay. And have the tech comm people still doing the, you know, inside the XML because we're already used to that. We already author that way. Um, and frankly, we don't really know, need our marketing people in XML, uh, but we need, do need to train them on certain ways to write so that you can pull snippets of content right. that you can then pull together and aggregate into a totally different asset, you know, than um, just the ones that they're all, they're used to doing. So there will be some training definitely in the way that they write. I don't know that that training will focus on structured authoring itself, though. Interesting. So conversely, let's flip it the other way. What have you learned from the tech comm side from the people that you've started working with on the marketing side? That's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is alignment. I mean, just the alignment and the consistency of story. Even though we write technical content, I think you can still tell a story. And this is one Mm. reason that we have approached our content the way we have or tried to the last three or four years. There's a big difference between a collection of procedures and a collection of scenarios or workflows um, and, and, you know, and the way that the users use those. It's much more beneficial for you to have a set of procedures if you have context around when or why you would use the procedures versus just throwing a how-to at you. Um, so one of the hmm. things we've really tried to do over the last few years is make sure that we are um, consistent in the way that we document the software such that it's kind of like telling a story. It's not quite like a marketing story, but it's like telling a story because we want to talk about how your job is made easier by using our products. It is not about documenting a product. It's about showing how we can make your life easier. And Mm. um, that's a hard switch for people to make if they're used to the traditional, as I call it, a way of documenting things. So, um, you know, that's where the the examples and the scenarios and the workflows come in. And um, that, I think, if we do have more of that conversation with marketing, I think the, the tech writers will see that, okay, here's the way marketing is telling the story. If they're saying that we can do, um, solve this problem with this solution, and then hopefully that will flow into the tech writer's mind of thinking, okay, this is the problem, this is the solution. So here's how I document it technically to show how that solution works versus here's five procedures that don't really go together, but they seem to work this way in the UI. So I documented them that way. You know what I mean? Huh. That's, that's, cre- that's very, very interesting because as, as I went, you know, having taking in absorbing everything I learned at content marketing world, you know, of course, everything in there is, is involved with storytelling. And right. I'm trying to think, and I even wrote a blog post about questions that I had um, from the conference that I really didn't get answers to. So if anyone goes to edmarsh.com and checks out the blog post, you can, you can see the, the tie in there. Um, but I've been thinking about storytelling and how to tell a story. I'm not sure what the story is, but now you've given me something to think about and say, okay, this is how we're selling it. And I try to tell people the benefit of using, you know, why this is important to their job. But I'm, I have to think I, it's, you gave me something to think about. So thanks. Good. 
Good. Yeah. I mean, the, that's one of the things that is most lacking in technical doc, I think, is, is the conceptual information around it. Otherwise, right. you have it's like when you read a book and nothing really flows together. So you're distracted. It's like a, a collection of facts, but it's not a story. Right. right. Um, and so we have to be careful with our technical doc that we don't just throw a collection of facts at them without tying them together. So they understand how the, all that stuff together works to help them do their jobs. Yeah, this is what we're pivoting to our, you know, we've had online help system for over 11 years. And I've been there just a little over five now. And a lot of it, you know, of course, when it starts and it's young, I mean, you know, our new manager is saying how he wrote the original documentation. And he was excited about hyperlinks. So, you know, it's been a long time since that, you know, since the world's evolved, but a lot of those con that content is there when it's all kind of window based and we've been revising it to make it like task based. Okay. You know, this is a part of your day. You know, this is where you are in a part of your day here. You've got to kind of here, but that's uh you know, it's a, it's a long, long, difficult slog. Yeah, definitely. Especially working with legacy content. Yes, yes. So let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about um, your volunteerism. Uh, you've been the president of your H uh, STC Houston chapter. Uh, you've been treasurer of STC National. And now you are the vice president of STC National. So um, what's up with all that? <laughs> well, I've actually been secretary. I was secretary, not treasurer, oh, for four years. Apologies. But, I no, that's me. okay. Um, well, I, again, I think it goes back to helping people. I have hmm. this thing about um, showing people how things can be better for them, I guess, in their careers. Um, and especially with TechCom, I think we do a, way too much of – um, you know, nobody sees my value. Nobody sees what I can really contribute. Yeah. And um, I really kind of wanted to be a part of the leadership of the society so that I could help people um, learn how to put themselves forward and show themselves in the best light to show that we do provide more value than just sitting in the corner and writing documentation. Um, again, I am extroverted, which I think most people in STC are not. Um, <laughs> so I have a lot of very introverted friends in STC, a few extroverts as well. But um, I think it's important that we don't rely on other people or um, our managers or um, STC or whatever to um, prove our worth. Um, and so to me, being in the leadership of the society puts me in a position to be able to hopefully guide the society in a direction that um, enables our members to be able to do that a little bit better. Um, I really think we, we need to link what we do to business problems. And right. we, don't, we don't do that enough. I think, you know, in some organizations, unfortunately, tech writers are kind of treated like the redheaded stepchildren. Yes. And as long as we sit there and take that, we're going to still be treated like the redheaded stepchildren. Hmm. So I'm very emphatic about helping people um, grow themselves and enable themselves and empower themselves to really provide a lot more value than what is traditionally done by a technical writer. Yeah, I always say that uh, technical communication is the Rodney Dangerfield of the technology world. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> but, but I mean, but I think that some of us, you know, I think it's that traditional, okay, I'm going to sit here and write a manual all day, as opposed to all the other stuff we're talking about. Do you, right. do you agree with that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think if, if you think that that's what your job is, sitting there writing a manual all day, then you're already, you know, not out of the gate. You're not going the way you need to be going. Interesting. So, um, you know, we've talked about you and I both being extroverts, uh, and there are lots of introverts, obviously, in STC. We've had a lot of, you know, volunteer leaders on the show, including Ben Welk, who is a self-professed uh, introvert and, and making a pretty good, uh, you know, a good, good transition there to uh, being a, a coach for introverts. Um, do you think that there's a certain type of person 
that's not just extrovert or introvert that kind of seeks out these kind of leadership roles? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I don't, I, I do know Ben. I, I served on the board with him for a couple okay. of years. Um, and, and I agree. I think he's done a great job talking about how introverts can lead as well. And I, and I agree. I believe that extroverts and introverts can lead. I think, you know, as long as you want to help people and, or help a society or a program or an organization that helps people or gives mm-hmm. something to people, then yeah, you can absolutely volunteer to do this. Um, if you're a good time manager, of course, it's easier to volunteer for these leadership positions as well. Um, mm. Extroverts and introverts kind of have their own strengths. And um, that's that's one thing I really liked about being on the board with Ben, for example, because um, I'm obviously very extroverted. He's introverted. We see things differently. You get a different perspective. Mm. And that's a good thing to have in a leader. You know, you don't want somebody that's going to whether an extrovert or an introvert that's going to go around telling everybody what to do. You want someone that helps build consensus. And a lot of times, um, you know, somebody that's a little more introverted and more reflective than perhaps an extrovert that tends to make decisions like I do very quickly mm. um, can can really be a benefit in, in slowing the extroverts and the, the type A's down a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, th- I think, you know, the, the balance of all of them is very good. Um, having all one, having all extroverts or all of the leaders in the world be extroverts or introverts either way is, is not a good thing. Hmm. All right. So why don't you tell us, or what actually, I guess, what surprised you the most since you've, um, you know, progressively taken on more, um, more responsibility and higher, higher visibility roles in the STC? What's surprised you now about being a vice president of the, of the National STC chap, uh, Association? I think all of the things behind the scenes you know, okay. you don't you don't realize really how much um, the staff does. For example, we have a very small staff. Um, it's actually mm. you know gone down over the last three or four years, um, and they wear a lot of hats and they huh. do it they do it well. And um, you know, being on the board. Um, you get a lot of complaints from members sometimes about, you know, what we're doing, what we're not doing, all that one kind or of two for me stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and that's legitimate. I mean, members should feel like they can talk to their, you know, board members or whatever about it because we are representatives of the society. That's appropriate. Um, but then again, there are things going on that, you know, you don't know if you're not on the board. There are certain reasons we might do things hmm. um, that, People in the the regular you know society members don't don't know or understand. So I think it really surprised me when I got in there and saw how many things um, the board is talking about, is doing, is trying to uh, consider in the way that we. Um, I mean, really do everything from setting strategy for the society all the way down to the programs we offer, down to the way we construct the summit. Every year, a ton of work goes into that. Board staff, I mean, it's not board, staff, um, the summit committee, and really some on the board's part, too. Um, there are a lot of moving parts in this organization and that I didn't really realize um, were, were so numerous. I mean, hmm. just a ton. So is that a, a transparency issue, do you think, or is it, is it by necessity? It really depends on the issue. You know, some of it's financial stuff that, 
uh, we've made certain decisions maybe to cut a program because finances are tight and that costs us too much or something like that. Um, We try to be as transparent as we can with the membership. Um, We do post our our board meeting summaries um, up on the website every month for members to go read and that kind of stuff. Uh, We try to talk to members as much as we can at our events. Um, But, you know, I'm sure someone will always say we could be more transparent um, and we, we probably could, you know, we've the year in review that we started doing the last couple of years has mm. been a big boon to, to transparency. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback on that. Um, and I think that's really helped people understand what we're doing all year in more detail, um, kind of where our finances are in general and um, what all is going on. So um, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. I mean, it's, it's had its ups and downs for sure as serving on anything like that would do, but um, hmm. it, it really is um, in, in a lot of ways, a, a large organization and what all we've got going on, but in many ways, a small one too. So it's hard to reconcile that sometimes with what everybody would like to see as um, hmm. members. So you mentioned, um, that leaders have uh, a good time management quality. I'm curious to see how much of this of your time that something like this endeavor takes for you personally. Well, that depends on the role, honestly. When I was secretary, okay. um, I would say besides the president, the secretary probably does the most work just because they're doing a lot of um, getting ready for the meetings and, and coordinating with the president, putting agendas together and putting minutes together and all that fun stuff. Um, so it was a little heavier when I was secretary. I would say that probably took me about um, anywhere from three to five hours a week, probably. Um, vice president has been a little different, especially with, Hmm. um, Chris Lyons resignation, because, (laughs) you know, I was like, Oh, my vice president year is going to be a lot calmer, you know, sandwiched between (laughs) my secretary and president years. Well, now it's not so calm anymore. You know, we had to, of course, deal with all the resignation stuff with Chris. And, and now we're about to um, start a search for a new CEO and all that fun stuff, which is going to take more of my time than I intend. And I'm in charge of uh, that committee, that search committee. Oh boy. So um, that's going to take more time than I anticipated this year, obviously. Um, but it's also in my best interest to do a decent job there since I will be president next year working with this person directly. Okay. So um, vice president and president probably takes quite a bit more president. I would say probably takes anywhere from uh, on a normal week, maybe 10 to 12 hours a week. Wow. Um, the last few weeks that we've had, uh, Adrian and me, Adrian Hunt is the president right now, a, a lot more than that. I mean, we've we've had a ton of time put into it over the last month or so. Um, but it's hmm. slowing down a little bit now. Um, so hopefully things will even back out there. But it, it is a time commitment for sure. Okay. So if I remember correctly, it sounds like vice president su- succeeds automatically to president. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And are you looking forward to being the president next year with knowing what you know now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't have, having already been on the board for four years before I ran for VP, I wouldn't have run if I wasn't ready for it. So I think, I think I'm ready for it. Um, You know, I have some plans and some things I want to look at and, um, you know, every board I've served with has been different, obviously every year because we have different people coming in and out, but um, you know, we, we do a good job of coming from a lot of different backgrounds and really having good discussions and people aren't afraid to speak up and, and talk about what they're thinking. So I have confidence that, you know, the the people that will be remaining on the board plus the new ones um, will, will be a good group to work with. So let's flip it around again and say, okay, as a leader in Society for Technical Communication, what can our members do to make it a better society and how, what can they do to help you and the board? Oh, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, 
ask questions, which I think a lot of them okay. do. You know, we definitely have a, a we have a very vocal subset of our membership. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because the board kind of calls most of the people the silent majority because we have, you know, some people we hear from all the time, all the time, and yeah. it's a very small percentage overall of the the whole. Uh, group. Um, I think anytime you have ideas for things, please don't hesitate to bring those to us. Um, I think being patient and understanding when we can't always give all the reasons that we, we do something. Well, like I said, we try to be as transparent as possible. Um, you know, I personally feel like the society is in a bit of a transition period right now. Um, and we're, we're trying to grow. We haven't grown as much as I'd like us to over the last three or four years, but we are trying to grow. We have our new certification program rolled out for the foundational level with other levels coming. So it's an exciting time for the society. And really to me, it's kind of on the cusp of, you know, Hey, we can really do some cool stuff here with our education offerings and our certification and all that kind of stuff. So um, having the members just kind of be patient and understanding that we are going through a period of transition, even more so right now with no you know executive director. We're going to right. we have an interim um, CEO and interim CEO, uh, Liz and Stacy, respectively. Um, but uh, there's a lot of again the moving parts that are always there, plus additional moving parts. So just some patience over the next six six to twelve months would be fantastic. Um, and then volunteer. I, we have a lot of communities out there that we have the same people volunteering, um, you know, to try to keep those things going. And we have other members that get upset when they find out that their community might fold, but then won't volunteer to help keep it vibrant. So um, you don't have to do something massive. You don't have to do something that takes five hours a week. You know, you could do something that takes one hour a week or 30 minutes a week. There's all kinds of jobs. And I guarantee if you go talk to your community uh, leaders that they will find something for you to fit your schedule. So um, I think that's important. If you want the communities to, to survive and thrive, we really need more volunteers in, in all different areas to keep that going. Yeah, because Alyssa needs a break. So everyone out there go and volunteer. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, um, I am currently... Uh, the newsletter editor for our STC New York Metro chapter. And I'm also leading the effort to convert our website to WordPress. I know that STC oh. is having the, um, you know, is having everyone move over to WordPress and be hosted there. So I've been leading that effort. And I know that there's a lot of effort going on on just that kind of a, that kind of process. I've been working on it myself for over six months, probably eight months at this point, And we're not even close to launching. So I know a lot of these things take time. Uh, and I, you know, unfortunately, the resource of getting people to help out is is not always easy. Yep, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So everyone get out there and volunteer, no matter what you're involved in, go and do something for it. Alyssa, you're a frequent conference attender and presenter. Um, but recently you tweeted that you were keynoting a conference at Amazon, which I was pretty amazed by. Um, can you tell us about that experience? Sure. Um, so Amazon decided that they wanted to have a conference for their technical writers um, because, frankly, from what I understand from the writers meeting meeting them that day and talking with them, um, they all work in different groups and they don't talk to each other hardly ever, it sounds like. Huh, okay. Um, so they kind of wanted to bring everybody together to share ideas and see what people are doing in different groups and, and, and have people meet each other. And um, they wanted a keynote speaker from outside the company to come in and, and okay. talk with them. So um, they're in various stages of adopting agile development across the organization. And um, I talked 
talk about Agile and TechCom a lot, and I have for years. Um, so um, I believe Elisa Bonsignori gave uh, the conference organizer my name, and okay. uh, I started talking with her. And um, that's how it came about. And um, it was a really cool experience because... To me, there it was about 250 people, and um, it was so interesting to see them all meeting each other. Even though they work for the same company, they work in right. different departments, and they were comparing notes on the tools they used and the processes they used and, and that sort of thing. And, of course, the presentations were slightly Amazon-specific, which was fine. Um, hmm. But um, I learned some cool things, too, about the, the nice. different ways that they did things. But it was a it was a great experience. It was really neat, and everybody was super hospitable and nice and um, very welcoming. It was I enjoyed it. Well, that's cool. I um I've just recently gotten into the speaking world myself. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in speaking? Did you consciously seek that out, or was it something that just kind of evolved? Um. You know, to be honest, the first time I spoke at a conference, I spoke with one of my coworkers. So we did a okay. double speaker thing. And we actually talked about Agile and TechCon. It was at 2008 in uh, Philadelphia at the SEC conference. And the reason we talked about it and submitted the proposal is because we had just started using Agile and we couldn't find anything hardly on how TechCon mm. fit into Agile. So we just decided we were going to do our own thing. Um, we had tried a number of things in our company. That, you know, of course, some worked, some didn't, but the things that did work seemed to really help us out. So we put a presentation together and presented on what had worked for us. And the room was packed. Uh, hmm. It was it was a very popular topic. And, um, you know, we had really good feedback on it. And so I really kind of did it out of necessity for hmm. sharing with other people what we couldn't find. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that's how I got started and I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, after I did it three or four times, I don't get quite as nervous anymore. <laughs> um, and I just, I, again, it, I guess it goes back to my helping people thing. I like talking with people about what we're doing and how it might help them and get ideas from them on how it might help us. Um, and, uh, you know, being a speaker at these conferences, um, gets me, you know, engaged with the other speakers as well as the other attendees. And um, it's just a good way to kind of get out there and, first of all, pol polish your public speaking skills, which I think is right. important for anybody, whether you're a manager, introvert, extrovert, individual contributor, it doesn't matter. I really think that's important. So the more you do it, the easier it gets. So I've continued to mm -hmm. do it. And sometimes, you know, at the beginning, it was mostly me submitting proposals um, over re in the last couple of years, it's been more people asking me to present at conferences, which has been really nice too. So that is cool. Yeah. I've been asked to do a couple. I am, I started with social media and there's, okay, I've done it. I've like, okay, what's next? And I'm trying to figure out what I want to speak about next. And it's difficult, you know, cause I'm in a regulated environment. I'm not allowed to speak uh, a lot about it. So it's like, I've got to find something. So that's where I'm, I'm working on and I'm hoping to present again at a uh, Philadelphia Metro. And uh, hopefully I will see you at STC uh, summit next year. Awesome. That'd be great. Yes. Yeah, so um, you talked about Agile and that you're speaking about Agile. And I've heard that it isn't really friendly to technical communication. And it sounds like you're kind of doing a pioneering thing since you hadn't found anything on Agile yet. Can you talk a little bit about that? So that's actually a big part. It was a big part of my talk at Amazon. Um, hmm. I think because I don't believe that it's not friendly to technical communication. I oh, think there are a number of things that you can do to make it more friendly to technical communication. One of the biggest obstacles we have to making it a good thing for tech writers is the lack of uh, dedicated writers to teams. So with Agile, it works really well if the um, all of the team participants are dedicated to those teams because then everybody, you get your velocity as a team in one sprint, you carry that over to the next few sprints and et cetera, et cetera. 
it's very, in fact, I don't think I've seen run across any companies yet that are doing agile that have writers dedicated to the team. So usually sharing teams, you know, they're on two teams, okay. maybe three teams. And so that's a little more difficult. Oh. So that's actually what we ended up oh. talking about back in 2008. And I still talk about to this day is how do you handle working in an agile environment in TechCom when you're on multiple teams, because almost everybody is on multiple teams. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that's where people start going, okay, this isn't friendly. I can't keep up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so huh. I, that's, that's what I tend to speak about. Okay. Here are some things that you can do to uh, juggle your teams and make sure that you still deliver what you need to deliver for both of them or th- all three of them. If you happen to be on three products, which is even worse, but you know, right. So it's a lot of, as a tech communicator in an agile world, is it a lot of juggling? I would like say it, yes. Um, yeah, you're, you're juggling, especially with Agile, and there's a lot of meetings. You know, you have, you're supposed to have yeah. daily stand-up meetings. You've got your planning meetings. You've got your grooming meetings. You've got your sprint demos. It's a lot more meetings, and there's a good reason for that. It's to enhance the communication among the team members, which is great. But if you're working on three teams and you've got those, you know, that number of meetings oh times three – yeah, then you've got to start looking at things like, okay, well, Project A ships in two weeks, so I, could, I need to focus that on it for the next two weeks. So Project B, I'm just not going to go to those meetings. But okay. if, you're, if you're not visible prior to skipping those two weeks of meetings on Project B, then you're going to have problems mm. because they're going to discuss things and forget to come back to you and tell you. Whereas if you've kind of established that relationship all along the way, then they'll go, oh, wait, this is going to affect Ed's doc. I better go tell him, you know. Um, So that's, in fact, my whole talk at Amazon was all about how do you build relationships to be successful in Agile? And then what are some specific things you can do because you've built those relationships that will help you uh, juggle all of this stuff? So have you found with the Agile approach that there's less of the Rodney Dangerfield effect in technical communications and that your writers are getting you know, more respect or, or more um, proving more value, I guess, as a result of Agile and working and communicating with these other teams? Yeah, I think definitely, because on an Agile Scrum team, every member of the team is equal. And ideally, hmm. every member of the team is responsible for a user story getting done. So that includes the coding tasks, the testing tasks, the documentation tasks, and any wrap-up that's involved with the, the testing and doc. So it's hmm. not meant to be focused on the functional areas of dev, test, and doc. It's meant to be the whole team hmm. completes these user stories together. So there's a lot more of that, um, you know, well, they're one of us versus they're the redheaded stepchild in the corner. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I have noticed that. And, and the majority of our teams at my company work that way. We do still have, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be an ideal world and every team is going to work that way because you have personalities right. in the mix too. Right. Of course. Um, so, but most of our teams, it works really well that way. And they do work in that manner where the writer is just as much a part of the team and an equal has equal saying as the testers or the developers. Well, that's crazy. I, um, there's, you know, the way that our teams are structured right now, there's no way that we're moving to agile because um, we're not we're kind of separated from the tech teams it's a it's a long story um, but it sounds interesting I mean there sounds like there's a lot of pluses and minuses mm-hmm. in the tech com world to agile yeah I, I'd say you're probably right in my mind there's more pluses if you have the capability to do some of the things that I, I've talked about you know uh, 
there's also companies where it doesn't matter even if you try to implement that, it won't work because uh, maybe the whole mentality of the whole company is that, you know, documentation is a necessary evil or simply a cost center <laughs> or whatever. And you, if you can't change their minds on that, I mean, it's just like with content strategy. If you don't believe that content's a business critical asset, you're not mm. going to get very far with content strategy. So um, it, it does depend some on your, your company environment. Right. But um, I believe that it's a much more positive environment for tech writers overall. Yeah, I've been called a uh, a necessary evil on a prior job. <laughs> that was a proud moment for me. Yeah, there you go. That was like six, seven, eight years ago, and I'm and that still resonates. I'm like, okay, right? And so, nobody wants to be the necessary evil, right? You want to be a high value contributing team member. Absolutely, absolutely. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about is you seem to be one of the uh, the better dressed people at conferences. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I I basically go, I'm like, hey, this is like a vacation. I'm wearing jeans and a T-shirt. Um, uh, is that part of your overall personality where you're, you're always dressed up to go out or is that just a, uh, a conference thing for you? Um, no, that's pretty much overall. Uh, that's part of my personality. Um, I feel very strongly that people should uh, dress the, for the job you want, not the job you have. Okay. Um, that's a philosophy, a philosophy of mine. Um, I also believe that, um, you know, in a professional setting, I should appear professional. So, um, I also happen to like clothes. So all of that <laughs> stuff together is just, I do like to dress up a little bit more. I feel like, you know, um, if I'm a leader, especially for example, in SCC conference where I'm a board member and I'm representing the society that I should look a certain way. Okay. Um, I don't want to look like I just rolled out of bed because to me that doesn't Fair. show the proper uh, respect for my position or the occasion. Um, and at work, I mean, I work for a software company, so it's pretty casual. You know, we're talking jeans nice. and t-shirts and I okay. typically only wear jeans on Fridays because, um, again, I feel like, you know, I'm in a leadership position. I'm a director. I have people mm. looking up to me. So I feel like I need to look at the part. Um, so it, it's a personal philosophy of mine. I know I've had arguments with some people about this, but, oh um, <laughs> about whether or not you really need to be dressed up and people should just take your work on, you know, but it's, it's also a perception. I mean, if you, whether you like it or not, people look at what you're wearing and how you present yourself. And I feel confident when I feel like I'm dressed for the occasion. So, nice. um, and again, I love clothes and shoes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that definitely have plays into it. Nice. Yeah, I um, I actually have to say I'm actually pretty happy with the job that I have, and I don't know if I want another job where I, you know, I, actually to tell you the truth, I never ever ever want to wear a jacket and tie ever yeah. again. So yeah. you know, so uh, you know, I can't dress jeans and a t-shirt to work every day. So I do dress nicely, but I'm comfortable, you know, and I'm comfortable yeah. where I am. I'm comfortable in my skin. So um, you know, occasionally I like to dress up, but most of the time, you know, jeans and a t-shirt makes me happy. Well, if it makes you happy, then go for it. <laughs> there you go. All right, Alyssa. So thank you so much for, for sharing everything. That was really, really awesome. Uh, your insight is awesome. And uh, I, I learned a ton from our from our past hour together. Uh, can you tell us uh, where the best places to find you online are? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I believe it's www.linkedin.com slash Alyssa Fox. I'm on Twitter at AFOX98. And um, I'm also on SlideShare. Okay. Under my What's name. Just curious. A lot of your screen names are a Fox ninety eight. Is there a uh, is there a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is there a, a reason for the ninety eight? Is it a particular number for you? Um, that's the year that I graduated from college and got married. Oh, oh, wow! That was a busy year. Yes, it was. It's a busy <laughs> nice. a week actually. They were one <laughs> weekend apart. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, you are a busy person. <laughs> well, thanks again, Alyssa. That was awesome. 
Uh, you can go ahead. I was just going to say, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Ed Marsh. And uh, you can also find me, of course, at edmarsh.com. You can find my most recent uh, talk at, that was at TC Camp in Virginia on uh, promoting yourself via social media and podcasting. That's also available on SlideShare. Uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast. You can subscribe, of course, to the Content Content Podcast on iTunes. And please, please, please write us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Let other people know that we're out there uh, and whether or not we're doing a good job. If you're on Android, you can go to edmarsh.com and subscribe using your favorite podcasting client. I am particular to Beyond Pod. I don't get paid to say that, but I just like it and I've used it for years. Uh, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio. Unfortunately, I can't get to, to work on Amazon Echo. It doesn't recognize it as content content, so it doesn't work there. But you can get us on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music Podcast. So, Alyssa, thanks again. Great conversation. Uh, everyone else, thanks for listening. Have a great day.